Dan Richo, Satyar Shot is uh, Canuck Central. Big game at the Raj tonight. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited. Your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. We're in the Kid Tech studio. A lot of discussion about the uh, black skate jersey set. They've been uh, wearing it at practice lately. Well, they, they've at least been wearing the helmets and the pads and everything else. Yeah. So uh, so a couple of practices ago, they wore the gloves and, and stuff, and I think they were going to give those away for charity. Yeah. That's the reason they wore those, but... They wore it again today. Yeah. Now that is a hint of something. The black skate could be coming back. Uh, let's uh, bring in our next guest. It is John Garrett, color analyst and uh, legend himself. He, is, he joins us every Thursday on the show. What's happening, Garrett? Not much, not much. You were talking about the black skate yeah. and, the, and the sweater, obviously. I have a pair of Lang skate skates. Not many guys would have a pair still. I don't even know what those are. I got are. them for hockey schools. <laughs> when I was working in hockey schools, the Lang skates, they were like snow boots or like ski boots. Okay. I don't remember Lang's. Oh, You'll now, now I remember them, yeah. Okay, yeah. wow. <laughs> and they're black, the black Lang skates. Yeah. Come on. I mean, they, they look like... You guys like, are too young. They well, look like ski, least, They look like a skiing boots. Yeah, at least you are, Dan. You're too young. <laughs> but the, the old gray beard beside you, yeah. well, maybe. Yeah, I thought he'd remember. Actually, you're going to tell me you played when, uh, when they were wearing Cooperalls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was nothing like Tim Kerr standing in front of the net for the Philadelphia Flyers, obviously. You remember Tim Kerr. Yeah. Well, you guys might not remember Tim Kerr. Big guy, got a lot of goals. But he was always on their power play. And standing in front with those Cooperalls on. And the puck, the black Cooperalls with the black puck coming, you couldn't see it. And you couldn't find it. And it would just be, <laughs> he was gigantic. A, f- a former Philadelphia Flyer, and 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 uh, was he one of the softer Flyers? Considering how tough that team was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this was after their. This was after they terrorized the NHL. They they weren't as they were still pretty good, right? But uh, they weren't uh, swarming teams like they did when they won the Stanley Cups. Four straight fifty goal seasons for for Tim Kerr. He'd be a superstar in today's game. Yeah. Oh, he was unbelievable. And I played for the Whalers before the Whalers had the Cooperalls. They they wore the Cooperalls later. So. What, was, uh, what was the favorite jersey you ever wore? Favorite jersey I ever wore? Hmm. Everybody in Vancouver fighting. loves the skate. But. Yeah, they love the skate. The, I uh, had the 85-86 one was changed from the Flying V. Yeah. Uh, but the Nordique sweater was nice. Oh yeah, the Nordiques. And as a matter of fact, the yeah. the Hartford Whalers sweater was nice. Yeah, with the yeah. you know the whale and my mask. I had the mask painted with the same sort of thing. Like I, my Canuck mask here was very nice. The Greg Harrison did a nice job with my Canuck mask here. Uh, WHA ones. Um, like fighting say, Saints the fighting was pretty Saints. good. The, the Birmingham Bulls one was pretty good. Oh yeah, Toronto Toros, and then moved to the Birmingham Bulls. That was pretty nice too. Oh, that's not bad. So, uh, as far as Canucks wise, which, which the, the Buckaroos, like the Portland Buckaroos, was just <laughs> you know it said Buckaroos across the chest, and the Richmond Robins with the and Philadelphia Flyers. This was their farm team, yeah. and it was the Richmond Robins, and so they had 
the robin colored orange with a little robin on the front. It, it was one of the worst sweaters ever. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Portland. The screaming eagles. No, no, we're the Richmond Robins, and we're going to tear you apart. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Tweet, tweet. <laughs> you got to tweet away at you, just like we do in social media nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Well, we skated onto the ice to rock and robin. We rocked these teacups all night long. It was just, it was one of the worst. You know, so intimidating. One of the worst come on the ice songs. It was just, yeah. Buckaroos. Rock and a- Robin. Oh, that'll get you really fired up. Yeah, we're the Rock and Robin. Yeah, we'll rock through the treetops all night long. Rocking and bopping and singing. This song. <laughs> hey, you know, it wasn't a bad. It was a catchy. But for a hockey team and, and you're getting fired up and you're going to play yeah, it's more embarrassing than anything else. Buckaroos is a great <laughs> name, our, though. With I, our orange sweaters. I love the Buckaroos name. The Flames should have named themselves Buckaroos. I know it was the Atlanta Flames that came over, but the Calgary Buckaroos would have been the right name, and it totally fits for yeah. Alberta. Yeah. I like the, the Calgary Wranglers, the yeah. American League team. That's, That's good. That's I a good like one. That. That's pretty good. Uh, it's John yeah. Garrett, our guest here on uh, on Canuck Central. So um, Canucks have lost three in a row here, and uh, we saw Bruce Boudreaux get a little bit frustrated after the last one, a six-two loss to the the New York Islanders, and we see just uh, three block shots. And you know, it's been a question for Boudreaux on a couple of these losses where these guys are just not getting in front of pucks, and you know, I. I, I'm not sure what to think of that. Usually it's a stat where, you know, if, if you're not blocking a ton of shots, it's maybe because you're not giving up a lot of shots, but that's that's not this team, Cheech. No, no, and uh, there is an art to it. Uh, you know, not everybody is a good shot blocker, but uh, part of your penalty killing and your penalty killing woes is blocking shots. You yeah. have to get out, uh, and especially teams that you know are going to shoot. And the Islanders... Uh, their power play goal. Well, how did it go in? The guy at the point takes a shot that gets mm-hmm. all the way through to the goalie, and then the rebound goes out and Pajot just stuffs it in. Uh, but that's one of the things. and You have to have guys that are willing to line themselves up against teams that you know are going to shoot. The Islanders, what, were 0 for 30 coming into Vancouver the other night. So what do you think their strategy is going to be? Oh, we're going to make three passes before yeah. we shoot. Pucks no, it's going to get it back. To, <laughs> yeah. yeah, get it back to the point and blast. So you know that's going to be their strategy. And yet they still, they only had two power plays, but they cash in on one of them with just a point shot that got through. And that's where uh, you just, and then the guy on the rebound is open. If you don't block the shot, surely you've got the guy covered for the rebound. But no, they didn't have the guy covered either. So, uh I, I think that's part of the penalty killing problem is they don't block enough shots. And uh, I think when you're reaching and the Canucks have been reaching a lot, your shot blocking count is, is going to go down because you're sticking the stick in and trying to deflect it rather than just get in front of it and then mm-hmm. take it away. Well, how, how frustrated is Boudreaux that like the other game and, and you know, he, he obviously was a bit more upbeat the last couple of days and everything, but for him to get to that point where he's like, you know, these guys got to block shots. I want to win. And you know, you play with Boudreaux, you know, Bruce, and he always talks about being, being an optimistic guy. Like how far at the end of his wit do you think he was for him to go that far the other night? Well, especially after how well they played in the first period, Yeah, mm-hmm. especially the first 10 minutes. I know the shots were only four to one, but the Islanders had uh, blocked a number of shots, and the Canucks had missed the net on how many chances. It could have been, instead of one nothing at the end of first, at least 3 nothing. 
had they cashed in on, on some of the good chances they had early in the period, they really came out and set the pace. And that's one of the things that we've talked about on this show, and, and I've talked about it with you two guys, is uh, imposing your will at home. And they did. They did that in the first period. And then and Bruce talked about it as soon as it started to go bad. Then you can see the confidence level immediately goes downhill. And uh, just their whole energy level is gone. And uh, one goal leads to another. And how many times has that happened that uh, – the shift after a goal or within within three minutes or five minutes after one goal goes in, another one goes in. And it, it seems to be just a habit for the Canucks now that once it starts to go south, it just continues to roll. And uh, that's something they, they have to correct. And Bruce said, well, you know, we can talk about the dressing room. And it is execution. And, they, and then once it, the team gets down, and we saw it in the third period, uh, instead of coming out and say, okay, well, we have to come out in the third period like we did in the first period, they come out and it almost looks like they were defending a 3-1 lead instead of trying to come back from a 3-1 lead, and they only had four shots on goal. And uh, I know the Islanders are a tough team to play against, and they're good defensively and all that kind of stuff, but uh, you're playing at home, you're a desperate team, and you didn't see much desperation. Is... How much of defensive play as a team comes down to talent and how much comes down to uh, effort in your eyes, Cheech? Oh, talent and and reading the situations and execution. And, and uh, Bruce talked about the giveaways the other night. And uh, Tyler Myers, and I, I never questioned Tyler's, Tyler Myers' effort. He always tries. But he doesn't think sometimes. Yeah. And that play that he made, uh, that ended up with Matthew Barzell's goal. That should be an automatic up the boards and out. And instead, he's trying to make a, a fancier play uh, to the middle. And there's a, he, he saw that Barzell was starting, and he double-clutched on it. And the puck goes right to Barzell, and it's in the net. Ethan Bear, uh, you've got the puck, you're almost at the blue line, and you circle back into your own zone. And instead of just going boards and out, make the safe play, then, oh, I'm going to try something a little different. And I'm, yeah, thinking and execution. And, and I, I think that that's part of it. And, and naturally, uh, you get into the, well, okay, can you skate well enough? Can you, are you hitting well enough? Are you blocking enough shots? The execution of the game, that's part of it. But the effort, I, I think, is, uh, I think they're trying. But I think that the execution and the thinking the game, just they're not conditioning themselves to thinking about the game right. And mm-hmm. Ethan Bear after the game talking about, well, okay, it's on me, uh, that goal. But uh, in Carolina, we did all the little things and did all the little things, right? Well, that's execution. He's talking about doing things right and doing executing the little things right. And uh, you have to do it shift after shift after shift not just uh, oh talk about it you have to do it mm-hmm. well I mean and that's the big big thing we're not quite seeing them do it more consistently and I just kind of wonder 
they're at the 37 game mark now and you know players always say we're gonna fight and they believe until the very end but they had the same point total last year at this stretch but they were, but they were playing a lot better because they had played 12 games with Boudreaux they had gone on the run the process we talk about a lot right Cheech like they're they were feeling good they're playing better defensively they're they're scoring goals the PK was turning it around this year, they have the same amount of points, but the PK is dead last in the league. The power play, not quite as prolific. They're giving up a lot more. As far as, like, how can you, as a professional, stop it from getting away from you? Or do you get to a point where, you know, like a defenseman, they just, they're just they not quite thinking and things are going so wrong for you this year and everything's not working out for you that the season just kind of gets away from you, can't get it back on track? Like, is that possible here with this group to get to that point? Yeah, I, I really think, and... It, because I was a goalie for 15 mm-hmm. years, but uh, the goalie is it's kind of a unique position where, uh, just, but the, the rest of the team should be the same mindset as the goalie. The goalie, uh, you go out there, every game's a new game. It doesn't matter what you did last game. It doesn't matter that you let in five. Uh, you got a new game. You're starting fresh. You got a new game. Just go out and, okay, this game, is on my mind, not last game. This game is on my mind, and this is what I'm going to do. I have a chance to win the game by myself, and that's the goalie mentality. You can go out and win a game by yourself. It's the only position on the team that you can go out and win the game by yourself. You look at that game that uh, Elias Patterson just dominated, uh, when was that, last week, and he had the five points. And yeah. uh, Did he win the game by himself? Just about. Just about won the game by himself. But the goalie can do it. There's no other position. There's no forward. There's no defenseman that can win the game by himself. So if you go out and you have the, okay, it's a new game. It's, I'm starting over. I'm starting fresh. We have to forget about the last one. We have to forget about the last three. And we have to go out and every shift and, and each of us has to trust the other guy to execute and do exactly what they're supposed to do. The, the, I forget whose goal it was, but the one where Barzell came down the middle and he threw it, Sizikas' goal the yeah. other night. Now, Luke Shen is, is back. He's in the right position, and he sees Barzell coming, and instead of trusting his partner, taking Barzell one-on-one, he starts to slide over. And as soon as he slid over, then Barzell hits Sizikas, and Sizikas got a clean lane to the net. It wasn't a great goal. Uh, I'm I'm sure that Spencer Martin probably thought, well, okay, he's a left shot down the left side angle. I should be able to get this. He didn't get it. But that's just the the defense not trusting your partner. And you have to. You have to have that belief that the other guy will do his job as long as I do mine. So if I'm Luke Shen and I I stay in position there and and take away the pass, then it's one-on-one with Barzell. He might beat your partner. Mm -hmm. But you have to trust that your partner can can do his job and uh, stop the one-on-one. And I, I think that they're now, and you watch them play, and once it starts to go, uh-oh, I can't go there. And I think this has, has something to do with blocking shots, too, mm-hmm. because that's uh, when you're blocking shots, you're one-on-one. You're going, you're committing, and you're going to do it. But if you don't trust that the guy is covered on the side, then you can't go to block the shot because then they'll make that play to the side. So it's really a matter of execution and confidence and trust and all these things that it's easy to talk about, but 
not quite so easy to do. Yeah, it, it feels like because things have gone so poorly, especially on the penalty kill, the, the trust factor is is huge. Uh, they're just not trusting each other to do uh, the, the jobs that they're out there to do. Um, it's John Garrett joining us on uh, on Canuck Central. So uh, we haven't had you on since the uh, the JT Miller incident with mm. uh, with Colin Delia. <laughs> Can we get your take I on it? I did that game. I, I did that game. You hear my comments when it was going on. Yeah. And then like, I, I agree with JT that Colin – and if you're a goalie, and uh, again, it gets down to confidence and trust and all this kind of stuff. And Colin Deal is not an 18-year-old playing in his first NHL season and uh, worried about what the coach thinks. So the coach didn't wave you over to the bench. There's 90 seconds left in a one-goal game. Your team has complete control of the puck. They're heading up towards the offensive zone. Go to the bench. Just take it upon yourself. I'm the goalie. I'm making this decision. Uh, if the coach doesn't like it after the game, he'll tell me, but I'm doing it. I'm just going to go. And Colin didn't. So, JT, uh, I understand what JT's thinking. Well, okay, how come you're not going to the bench for the extra attacker? Mm-hmm. But you don't have to embarrass your teammate by yelling and screaming at him and then banging the crossbar. That's, uh, to me, that's the only thing about that that I really didn't like was the fact that it's an embarrassment to the goaltender. He's your teammate. So he he's made a bad decision, but uh, is that going to change anything? You banging the crossbar with 40 seconds left after you brought the puck back behind the net, instead of heading up towards the offensive zone, you brought the puck back behind the net, killed 10 seconds to bang the stick on the crossbar to get the goalie to go to the bench. Uh, to me, it, it, it was nonproductive, and uh, it was an embarrassment to the goaltender, which JT should have realized. Uh, I know he's an emotional guy, and he gets wrapped up, but uh, come on. You know, you've got to think about things like that, and, and it should be natural. It shouldn't be. The first, your first reaction is to start yelling profanities and, and banging the stick on the crossbar. You know, that I, shouldn't be your first reaction. Yeah, I, I, I agree on that. And, and you know, I know JT hasn't been – or he hasn't lived up to expectation this year. He hasn't played as well as he, he can play, at least not consistently from – especially compared to last year. But I, I feel like these moments on the ice, his, his body language at times, how he can be, um, you know uh, – effusive with media at times as well in his in his scrums every now and again it 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 feels like the uh the criticism it's almost been too harsh on JT given you know how much he still does for this team do you agree (laughs) talking about what are you talking about never know Uh, like I I I like JT as a player yeah (laughs) do I like his attitude not not much sometimes yeah, but do you have to have some personality on the team? Do you have to have some fire on the team? Yes, but uh, does that fire have to be directed in a positive direction? I think it does, and that's the thing with JT is you hope that uh, once he settles in, and I don't think he settled in now. And he talked about playing with different line mates and uh, different positions, and uh, there's he's got some excuses for his behavior, but. I don't like his behavior. I, I think that, but do I like his talent? Yes. Do I like his fire? Most of the time, yes. 
But do I like when it's directed at his teammates? Not one little bit. I, I really think that that's something that uh, has to be curtailed. And because we're not in the room and, you know, the guys say, well, you guys don't know. You're not in the room. And I agree with that. I, I was in the room for 15 years. And it is a confine where, and even now, where there's so many phones and, and media and uh, social content and all, all sorts of things that uh, the players are more exposed to that. It's still what goes on in the room is uh, something that is among the players themselves. And uh, we really don't know exactly how the other players feel towards J.T. Miller. So, and that's the that's the main thing is if he's lost the respect of his teammates, then there's a problem. Me looking at it from the outside, I don't think he has. Mm. But I, that is the operative is I'm looking at it from the outside. Mm-hmm. Well, so, and, and that's the thing, right? It's it's about like, hey, we, we hear people speculate, people say things, but as far as what goes on in the room, like it's hard for us to really be able to tell from the outside. But I did want to throw one more thing by you on JT, and this is something that Rutherford mentioned. He said, you know, JT can still he kind of hone his game and get better and, you know, handle his emotions better, and he thinks it can take a year for him to figure that out. And he is entering his age 30 season and all that. I mean, people are saying, like, hey, maybe that's too old for him to figure it out. He is what he is. Is that still an age range where a guy can mature and, and hone things in, like Rutherford mentioned? Yeah, and I think that you have to adjust to uh, the new contract. This is the last year of his contract, and he starts his new one next year. He'll have to adjust to that. Uh, just had a new baby. You have to adjust to that, the family situation. You know, there's a million things off the ice that we don't uh, – that media and and the general public doesn't take into account whereas the players in the room do because they know the family situation what's going on and and the new babies and and what's you know christmases and parents coming and all these other things that the the media and the public don't know and say well okay he had a a bad two weeks at christmas well it might have been a million distractions going on at christmas or new year's or whatever and you don't know and uh, that's why, uh, Dan, when you say you think the criticism has been too harsh, I really don't think, and I know you think some players are sensitive. I don't think the players are that sensitive uh, to the criticism other than if his, their teammates are starting to criticize them in the room. If that happens, then you know you've got a problem. Well, I just, you know, I, I was uh, lamenting with Sad earlier that, JT is being compared to Louis Erickson uh, earlier today, and I was just like, you know, that 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 just like kind of was taking it a little too far for me at that point. Uh, we're gonna Louis and Louis is Louis is one of the nicest guys. Yeah, uh, you want to meet off the ice, and uh, during a dad's trip one time, I never had more respect for a player in my life than I had for Louis Erickson, uh, tending to his dad on a dad's trip when his dad did. Uh, got a disease where he's in a wheelchair and, and Louie had to carry him up the stairs of the plane. And it, it was just, it, it, I gained so much more respect for Louie as a person yeah. and a family guy and Louie with all his kids and all that kind of stuff. Uh, his on-ice uh, play, the 
contract wasn't right. The fit wasn't right. They thought he was going to fit right in with Henrik and Daniels. Didn't work. But, you know, <laughs> comparing Louis and JT Miller, I don't know who did that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a little bit much. Uh, but, uh, Cheech, we always appreciate the time we get with you. Uh, enjoy the Randy Florida trip. Randy just walked by, and oh, yeah. uh, I know Sportsnet 650 remembers him fondly. He's never on anymore. I'm on more than Randy. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Do you want to be on less, Cheech? Well, does Shorty come on? Does Murph come on? Well, Murph does once in a while. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Shorty. We just don't like to bug him too much. <laughs> yeah, that's true. See, I mean, we, short, we, yeah. if we use too much of Shorty's bandwidth, then he's going to be cranky with you during the game call. We don't want that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And he's always he's trying to do some keto diet or something, and then oh, he wow. gets grumpy, and he's just oh, come the on. keto flu. It's real. Trust me, I know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Cheech, you're the best. Thanks for this. Okay, no problem. Talk to you later. Uh, there he is. Best in the business, John Garrett. <laughs> uh, John wasn't having the JT Miller question. No. Just wasn't having it. Was not having it. But I think what, what Cheech is mentioning, again, it's like, yeah, he deserves to be criticized. There are things we can criticize. He's not quite Louis Erickson. It's, it's again, it's, it's about like how you know, how extreme things are going. I'm here for the criticism, and a lot of things deserve to get criticized. I'm here for the criticism, too. I just, some of it's been hyperbolic the last couple of days. Yeah, I mean, I do agree with that. Yeah. But, you know, there's been a lot of bad, too. Uh, there <laughs> there is been. a lot of bad, yes. Uh, all right, uh, we'll get to more of your texts and uh, get into uh, Jonathan Lekaramaki and his play at the World Juniors next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central coming to you from the Kintech studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. If you missed it earlier, it's now up and available on podcast. But we opened the show talking about the Colorado Avalanche and how their initial rebuild stalled out and they sort of had to reset. That's when they traded Matt Duchesne and committed to building around Nathan McKinnon. It's worked out pretty well for them. Could the Canucks be in a similar situation? You can check that out now on podcast. All of your favorite podcatchers, subscribe, leave a review. We do appreciate it. Uh, World Juniors ongoing. Canada currently up 2-0 on the Czech Republic in the final. Uh, Goals from Dylan Gunther who scored every one of his six goals on the power play so far in this tournament, Sat. Power play ace. Power play ace. But if he can't do it at five on five, I don't want him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he's, I mean uh, he played in the NHL already. He, did, he, he, plays, he played some NHL games already. Yeah, he's played uh, for Arizona a bit this year. Yeah. Um, and the other goal, a beautiful one from, uh, from Shane Wright. But we're now at the stage because uh, – Sweden wrapped up their tournament today, uh, losing in overtime to the U.S. 8-7, a barn burner of a bronze medal matchup. Um, Jonathan Lekromaki and Elias Pettersson have finished their tournaments. Lekromaki, not so great. Pettersson, positive. But the focus is now on Jonathan Lekromaki, who was the first-round pick for the Canucks Mm -hmm. this year and has had a really tough go since being drafted. Yeah, and I mean, the tough go, uh, I think, mostly is because he had a concussion, and he also had mono. 
And, you know, for a young kid, having mono is not easy. The amount of energy you lose and how hard it is to come back from that as well. And then not to mention a concussion he's been dealing with. Well, when you're a professional athlete, which he is yes. in the Swedish league, yeah. um, it's it's tough because you'll lose a bunch of weight when you get sick like that. And so any work you potentially put in over the course of the summer kind of evaporates in that time that you are not feeling well. Yeah. Now that's you know not making a complete excuse, but you know it's it's tough to bounce back from something like that, especially with a player as young as he is. Again, we uh, I feel like it's being forgotten in the wake of his disappointing World Junior tournament just how young this player is. Well, I think that, and also just people leaving out key contacts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like us just talking about him having mono and a concussion should give you a pretty good grasp of why he has struggled relative to expectations. And he's playing at the highest level that he can play with, uh, with his Jurgården team, which is, is the Allsvenskan, which is not the top level in Sweden. It's just the level below Sweden. Second division, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Jurgården uh, uh, is actually a storied franchise, and it's a big deal that they've been relegated, and they're trying to get themselves back up to that big league again. But he's not having the same success, even though he's played 20 games, as compared to what he did last year, playing in the higher level, a bit younger, which was the SHL, where he scored you know, a bunch of goals for a guy who's 17 years old at the, at the stage, right? And those were really impressive things about him. But I'd still say that if you're talking about him struggling and you're not keeping in mind the context of the injuries and the illness, then I don't think you're doing a proper evaluation of him. And I'd say everybody just has to kind of, you know what we're saying with JT, take, take a breath. Like, he's, he's been bad. He's, he's problematic. But he's not Louis Erickson. You yeah. know, like, you know, those, <laughs> he's not quite that. And I'd say if you're already selling your stock on, like, Karamaki or saying, you know, you wish they should have done something different, it's way too early, man. And if anything, I actually saw some things, and I saw, you know, five Canucks thoughts replied uh, to uh, a sarcastic tweet I had about Bo Horvat in 2014 when he played in the World Juniors in his draft plus one year and had three points in seven games. People said, this is the guy who's supposed to be a leader and supposed to be a big-time player. He wasn't very impressive in the World Juniors in his draft plus one year, and we all know Bo Horvat and the success he's had in Vancouver since then. Yeah. And I'd say Lakira Mackey has actually showed some decent things, especially this game here, I thought, in uh, um, against the U.S., the bronze medal game. I thought he, he was responsible. He was doing a lot of things the right way. He's got a great shot. He's got some nice talent. And despite the fact he struggled, he still had three points in the tournament. Yeah. And when he had the puck on his stick, he did do things. He's super talented. I'd say that I've seen enough things that are encouraging, and I'd say they should pump the brakes on selling your stock on this kid. Like, come uh, on. Um, you know, it's the same sort of thing uh, when Ulevi, you know, had that amazing tournament with Finland and everybody's like, oh, look at this kid. He's going to be great. Uh, didn't didn't necessarily work out for him. Um, this tournament, I think it's hilarious because oftentimes you will go into this tournament and you'll hear from scouts or people that cover prospects a lot more closely than I do and they say look this is just one of many evaluation periods if anything it's a very short evaluation period and we tend to put too much stock into this one stretch of games compared to the larger picture the larger sample of what these players are doing outside of this one tournament it matters because they're going up against the best players in their age group their peers so yes there is some weight to it but it isn't the be-all and end-all and then we start getting through the games and everybody's like oh this guy stinks and that guy's great and 
It, it happens every single year without fail. The same thing happens every time. We shouldn't take this too seriously, but we really are going to take it too seriously. Yeah, I mean, people just do in general. And not that's not to say that there aren't things you can take away and a player does perform well. You can't just dismiss it. And there are things about it. It's just, again, overreaction to it. Uh, Tyler, I think, texted and says, Vertana also didn't show well. Uh, balance, he's a guy who didn't show well and also didn't do well in the National Hockey League. True. And the point that I've also made numerous times is, Cody Hodson, yeah, most points by a Canadian at, at, at one point in a tournament. Or he had the most points in that tournament one year. We know how that worked out. Some injuries, of course. Jordan Schrader at one point was the the guy who had the most points by of any American at the World Juniors. We all know how his career kind of went after yeah. being drafted in the first round and playing in so well at the World, World Juniors. Good performances, bad performances don't always tell you the entire story. I just say pump the brakes on Lakiramaki. And the other thing to keep in mind, he was one of the youngest guys in the draft and was always going to be a longer-term project. Yeah. Everyone said he's going to take a bit longer than most guys. He's very raw, very young. you got to be extra patient with him. And now all of a sudden, six months in, it was like, oh, they made a mistake. <laughs> there, was, there was better players available lower in the draft. Um, way too early to, to make that assumption with a player like Jonathan Lakiramaki who... Uh, as a July 24th baby was and is essentially just like what two months under the bar if he's born two months later he's in this year's draft rather than last year's draft he was one of the youngest players in last year's draft you might not think that that matters a few months here and there but it it does it makes a difference for some of these players so um Pump the brakes there on 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 Lekaramaki, and I think that's totally fair. This text comes in. Um, Fabian Lysel was awful in this tournament, but he's been near a point per game in the AHL. Yeah, like wh- what am I what am I valuing more for Fabian Lysel? Point per game in the AHL, I'd say, is pretty good as a 19 year old. Yeah, so. I mean that's probably more indicative. He had some moments. He had the headshot this game uh, yep. against uh, uh, the Americans as well, which was an ill timed decision by him. Yes, but I, I'd still say in in, in general, like he's a very talented prospect. Um, I've heard a lot of things though about ultimately how people think he's going to fit in certain places, and because he's not a premium position player, I just wonder ultimately how high this organization would be on him. But, yeah. yeah, clearly a very talented player. Well, I think next year, uh, you know, Lekaramaki and Elias Pettersson should both, again, be on Team Sweden, and they'll probably be two of their more prominent players as returnees to this event or to next year's event and a little bit older. So they'll be, you know, more in the prime of, you know, what – usually is the age group of the best performing players in this tournament are. I, I certainly hope so. And yeah. they're going to have to, I mean, Pedersen, I thought, had a pretty good tournament overall. Had some moments, but I saw some things, obviously. He's fine. Um, but they're going to have to take steps over the course of the year. I What I'm really more most interested by for these two guys is the type of offseason they can have and what they can look like heading into next year. That's yeah. going to be a, a big, big sign, I think, into what direction they're going to be trending at. It's one thing to have a bit of a tough draft plus one year, we, we often talk about draft plus one. Sometimes guys can take a big step and unexpectedly later round picks can do something you didn't expect and they put themselves into being higher grade prospects for you. But we hear this often. It's the draft plus two year where you're really looking for some meaningful steps. And if somebody does take a leap, that's usually when you see it. So that's really where you want to start evaluating like Hiramaki is, is next year. And does he look like a more complete player then? So we're continuing to uh, be enthralled by everything Connor Bedard does in this tournament and with Bedard it's less about it's less about oh my god look at how good this guy is 
Um, but it's more, oh my God, look at how good this guy is. We're seeing it for the first time, even though he plays in the dub and does this pretty much on a nightly basis with the Regina Pats. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the big thing about Bedard here is it's kind of his coming out party to the casual hockey fan as much as it is, you know, and, and there's just so many people watching so much attention on this tournament. But it's nothing new necessarily for this player and what he's put together so far. It's also really surprising to see a player of his age in his draft year do this well in this tournament. Well, I think that's the biggest thing. It's What he's doing is historical. Yeah. And I think it's just reinforcing that this kid is most likely for real. You know, and we talk about you can't overreact or whatever, but there are certain performances that are just so spectacular that you can't avoid it. And this is one of those performances. It's sort of confirming that he is, you know, sort of in the ilk of a Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby type. Yeah. Right? At least from a prospect and then likely franchise-changing player. Um, And we're seeing it already play out in the standings. Certainly teams got ahead of it. Chicago got ahead of it. They're the worst team in the league. (laughs) They are on a historically bad pace right now so far this season. But there's four teams right now that are among the worst teams we've seen in the last 15 for the National Hockey League side. Like four teams right now are under a 400 points percentage. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. I mean, it's... It is. Not Um, even that many teams ended up being this bad in the Connor McDavid draft year, whether it was McDavid and Eichel. Yeah, but how many teams are actually trying to be that bad this year? Like, really, it's 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 two Chicago, teams. Chicago, Arizona. It's really those two teams. Even Anaheim. I mean, they went on a side. Klingberg. I think once San Jose got Mike Greer in, they... Yeah, but even so, I mean, it's not like they were trying. To, like, they made trade moves to make their team better. Oscar Lindblom, they signed. Yeah. They, they thought could come in and do certain things for them. Matt Benning. They signed a few guys on the back guy. end. Yeah, they My signed, guy, Matt Benning. Uh, they signed some stopgap type players. So I don't think they were fully trying to tank to some degree. Like, I don't think the Anaheim Ducks were trying to tank. They signed Klingberg and Ryan Strom to big contracts. Klingberg being a one-year deal. But I don't think that's a team that was trying to actively tank this year. I think it's two teams that are actively trying to tank. Columbus uh, signed Johnny Gaudreau and Eric Branson this summer. Yeah, they're not trying to tank this year. They knew they weren't going to be a good team, but they weren't trying to tank. They knew they, they wanted like they wanted to push for the playoffs. But they knew, you know, Gaudreau was a play that, you know, lands in your lap. You go and sign a superstar player like that. But... You know, he was as much a part of their three to five year plan as he was. Uh, this is a guy that's putting us over the top and getting us into the playoffs this year plan. Um, and now he's ended up on a team that's fighting for Connor Bedard. But I wonder how this plays out at the deadline now where. You know, you wonder how many more teams are going to maybe want to sell because of what they've seen from Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli. Leo Carlson, Matvey Mitchkov, who's, you know, not in this tournament, but is another high-end prospect, as we talked about yesterday. And, you know, prior to this year beginning, prior to Russia being kicked out of all the international tournaments, this was supposed to be the Bedard-Mitchkov draft. Yeah, and now you see, I mean, Fantilli moving up on it as well. I mean, it's, it's Leo Carlson gets a lot of love. It could be a flooded seller's market, which does make it more complicated. 
Yeah. In terms of trying to make trades. And, you know, we saw last year too, it was really a buyer's market because so many teams are willing to sell. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to see the same thing this season to a large part, especially teams that have a chance of finishing in the bottom 11. So really the, the, the bottom 10, 11 teams are probably going to be aggressive in, in trying to sell off the best they can. One of the big problems in the East is that you have nine teams essentially who are fighting for playoff spots right now. Uh, and by that, I mean, like, everybody else is not going to make the playoffs. And that's pretty much already decided. And the same thing happened last year. Yeah. No, and the Islanders and Pittsburgh and, and those teams in the Metro, they're fighting for playoff spots. Nobody else is. Um, Detroit and Ottawa, they can say whatever they want. I mean, they're they're out of the playoff race as it currently stands in my eyes. Florida's not going to go on enough of a run to catch anybody. So those teams, Buffalo included, they're they're all pretty much done. But, I mean, what is Buffalo selling? Yeah, not too much. You know, like, you're not selling your good young players. They don't exactly have a bunch of UFAs. I mean, nobody's taking Jeff Skinner in his contract. Yeah. I mean, Ottawa, like Travis Hamanick, is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, um, the Florida Panthers aren't moving guys. That's a team with core players that they're trying to build around more than anything else. The Flyers are trying, but you've seen all their players are long-term. Yeah. Right? So it's like... If you look at the league, teams that have UFAs, rentals, they're going to be the ones that are valuable, and players who are on cheap contracts. Yeah. So anybody who has term left, I mean, all these teams may even want to try to do things, but it's like Vancouver with Besser and Garland. You think this is something we see more often in the NHL, or is this because of Bedard? Where we have teams this bad. But again, like I don't think a lot of teams are, are trying to tank this year. Yeah. Like, it's two teams. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I think teams might at the deadline, maybe they're trying to sell more. But like, I, there's this, again, narratives. Like, I hear this too. Teams this year are really lining up for Bernard. Like, but who is trying to, like, who this year has gone into well, the Columbus is really like, after they had their terrible start to the season, and it, it was it was almost like, okay. But it's injuries. Wierenski yeah. gets hurt. Patrick Lyon gets hurt. And like, okay, let's just shut it down. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't heading into the season being like, oh, Bernard's here. Let's, yeah. let's, let's try to get the dra- high draft pick. You know what I mean? Like once the season starts and goes a certain way, like, I just don't, I don't think it's going to be a trend. Okay. I don't see it yet, at least, like this year. But Bedard is that good. He is. He's <laughs> worth it. Like he's, And if he does hit, the problem, though, is in general, the league just looks at it and says, if we're trying to be a bad team, there's no guarantee we get the first overall pick. Yeah. Right? And it's like there will be a couple of teams that are willing to do it, but a lot of teams that are kind of in the middle are like, does it make sense for us to completely trade everyone so we finish with the same record and then not even get the guy? Like that's still a big part of this. Like well, it's the the lottery the odds, odds really it. discourage. It's tanking. like you you can be a bottom. You, you you may go into the season saying, "Yeah, we think we're a bottom ten team," but should I trade my top twenty three year old player because I'm trying to be a bottom three team? Yeah, which is w- essentially what Chicago did. Mm-hmm. They traded Debrinkat and Kirby Doc. Yeah, and they literally had nobody else to trade. Yeah, because nobody's touching all of their other guys. Even Patrick Kane, no trade clause, ten million mm-hmm. contract. Jonathan Tave, same thing, and he's not. He's what third line center on a contender right now. Yeah, I mean they they have nothing pretty mm-hmm. much. So that makes it for very interesting content. Yeah, I kind of wonder what Bedard's rookie season is going to look like. Like the Crosby Ovechkin year was bonkers. Sat when they put up like 120 points each. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever it was. They not 120, but they both put up over points. 100 points. Uh he could beat that depending on... Now, the thing to keep in mind, though, was was the first year out of the lockout. Tons of power plays. Which was also just like a complete chaotic year. Yeah. It was just so much offense. 
We are seeing a trend, though, last year and this year with offense. I'm curious to see if that continues next year as well. There's more five-on-five scoring now than there was back then. There is, and he's a great goal scorer, and goal scoring is up, certainly, right? I think he has a chance, but it's such a high bar. I think people forget how high that bar is. Yeah. It's like 100 points as a rookie. Like He might (laughs) score 80 points as a rookie, and that's incredibly... Yeah, impressive. McDavid, we uh, you know, he got hurt. Role. He got hurt in his in his first year, so we don't know where he would have ended up. But he was pretty good. Was over a point a game in his rookie season. Um, Bedard's likely to be that type of a guy. We don't see rookies do that often. You know, Matthews was pretty good in his rookie year, um, but to be a hundred point guy in your rookie season, that's why Crosby and Ovechkin were just that damn special all right uh coming up we're going to get into the pregame extended pregame we're going to talk to aj Haffley, who's covering the colorado avalanche his take on where the abs are at they've lost a few in a row they're on the bubble of the playoffs they've just gotten mckinnon back are they on the way up plus we'll find out which canucks are going to well probably just canuck is going to the all-star game that's next on canuck central